We are closing our series on wisdom today. Um, we did a three-part series. For those of you that might have missed it, you can catch up on any podcast site or on YouTube. Um, part one and um, two has been such a great blessing for me to be able to study this and share the word. Part one, we asked the question, what is wisdom? What is biblical wisdom? How is it different from worldly wisdom? And we saw some pretty cool things there that I myself have never seen before actually doing this study. I'd encourage you to listen to that. And part two, how do we then obtain wisdom? Um, which I think had wonderful revelations in them. We're coming to the climax of this series, and it's a climax only in the sense that it is aiming to be nothing less than just an exaltation of Christ, a continuation of that which we have just, um, the things we sung in worship will continue um, as we exalt the one that we love the most. You know, it's, if someone would come and stand up here and just sing the praises of my wife, for, for instance, because I love her so much, I would love to hear how someone sings the praises of my wife. And so I in, encourage you to just enjoy as we explore um, some of the beauty and the wonders of the first love in our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ. Enjoy it. Open your heart. Let's go for it. We're going to open and close with the following scripture. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 to 19. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greek seeks after wisdom, but we preach Christ and Him crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. If we quickly just scan through this scripture before we dig into the um, kind of the body of this sermon, there's a couple of notes on this moving piece of scripture. A message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's, it's, it's only by the quickening of the Spirit inside of us that a person can ever recognize the immense power 
and the wisdom of God's salvation. To the natural mind, it seems foolish, the salvation of God, because our minds cannot go so high. Our minds cannot go so high. I'll use some examples to explain that later. But how can it then not seem like foolishness, this thing that we cannot comprehend? But how can the ultimate wisdom of God ever have been something that we can understand? But it's only by the Spirit that we in our hearts get this and we testify from our spirits, yes and amen, even though our minds cannot reason it out fully and never fully will be able to because the wisdom and the power of the cross is infinite. And therefore, it seems like foolishness. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? The world's wisdom, the wise, the scribe, the disputer, he cannot find God. He cannot know God with his worldly wisdom. Not even religious wisdom, as we see the scribe is included there. Not even religious ways of thinking can make you fully understand this. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through, my interpretation would be, the world through its own worldly wisdom did not know God because no worldly wisdom could ever point to God. And God's wisdom is shown in the fact that our minds cannot conceive it. It pleased God, almost with a smile on his face, that he's comfortable with the fact that this sounds foolish, but that through his Holy Spirit, he makes hearts respond to this eternal glory. And for us then, who see a little bit of this and who um, tastes a little bit of this, we testify and know that truly this is the power and the wisdom of God. It's like when my son would, it would be seven o'clock and I would say it's time to go to bed and he would fall over in the protest. And then he would come with wisdom. He would say something like, Daddy, did you know that if we would now walk down to the promenade and we play putt-putt, we would get very tired and our energy would be depleted. Energy is a thing that is known as somehow gets. And then if we eat ice cream, then our energy will be back to, will be back up again so that we can then walk home again. And then when we get home, we will be tired so that we can then go to bed. And then I will say, Let's go jump in the bath, my boy. And what will his reaction be? That's foolishness. That's foolishness. My argument had so much more depth than your, your very linear plan to get me from here to there. But don't you see my argument? Don't you understand what I'm trying to say? It's foolishness. <laughs> 
But yet I smile, and you would too as the parent, because you understand the wisdom that he doesn't yet understand, that if he doesn't go to bed now, then tomorrow is going to be a train smash. And so I'm fine with the fact that he thinks it's foolishness. I'm not going to debate all of his logic, because then he would have his way, and he'd only go, go to bed at eight. But I'm at peace with the fact that he thinks that it's foolish. But I want him, what do I want? Eventually, I want my son to, to learn that he can tr trust me and that I at least try to know the best. I'm his father. I would love him to learn to trust me. And that speaks to us as well in this, of course. Um, And therefore, God is very happy, and with a smile on his face, he thinks all, all these wise people that have these beautiful debates for hours and make their wisdom and their intellect known, and then he thinks, oh, it's like a little children arguing why he needs ice cream. And it's beautiful, and he loves them for that, but he's so much bigger than that. And we should be careful to never look at the message of the cross and esteem it slightly lower because it seems like foolishness even to our natural minds. And it seems that when we share it with those who do have a logic like that, that they might think it is foolish and too simple and it doesn't make sense. But I would encourage you to just share it, as foolish as it is, because by that, God brings down the wise and brings them to repentance through ways only He knows. Because the power of God is in that gospel that we do not understand. The Jews wanted a sign. Is this the Messiah? The Greeks were seeking after more and more and more wisdom. And there were signs aplenty <laughs> through Jesus' life. But the Jews wanted the signs that they wanted. Um. Also, like my son would say, I would, I would buy him a red car the week before, and then the next week he wants a green car. And I said, no, we're not going to buy the green car now. We bought the red one last week. And then he would respond like something like, no one ever wants to buy me anything. But that's not the truth. Um, we did buy a red car last week. Uh, you just didn't get the sign you wanted right now. But Jesus did the signs that God wanted him, and the Greeks sought for wisdom but couldn't understand that they could never gain the wisdom through worldly means. Only the Spirit, as I said, that testifies of the unsearchable power and wisdom of Christ inside of us can ever show that to us. So the aim of this message this morning is, this is the, a little bit of the introduction to show you that the Word of God says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Um, which is also, by the way, a testimony to the fact that he is divine and that he is God. Because no man can hold wisdom. We have seen a man can be wise. So the one who then is the wisdom of God is further proof of his divinity. But I want you to, in your heart, like Psalm 34 verse 3 says, come magnify the Lord with me. As we just explore a few of the wonderful things that we see of him.
Christ, the wisdom of God. We're going to look at it in three short sections. The nature of Christ. Now, we could spend a year on each, okay? So I just picked a few scriptures for each one. The nature of Christ, the life of Christ, and salvation through Christ. Both, all three of them hold beautiful revelation um, to the wisdom of God that is found in Christ. The nature of Christ. Let us read Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. Just enjoy the scripture, okay? Just enjoy it. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, church he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross the very nature of christ is that he is god he was there before there was anything created through him all things were created and they were even created by him and for him he is god he is the eternal god therefore as we've seen previously he can own wisdom. He is fully wise because he is fully God. And as Lady Wisdom danced around them while they created the earth, she, the personification of her, is owned in the nature of Christ and who he is. So therefore, he is ultimately wise. Do you know anyone that is ultimately wise? You, I hope, know Jesus. And if you don't, I want to invite you. He made a way for you to know him. Ultimate wisdom is in his divine nature. So he is wisdom. He is God. Isaiah 9, where it says unto us, the scripture is not on there. Unto us a um, child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called um, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and to his dominion and his uh, peace there will be no end. I might have mixed up a couple of those terms, but there it says, about, it, it speaks about this, 
about God the Son that would one day be born unto us. Child is born. The Son is given. And that Son that is born would be God. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. So we know that this Almighty God, the Son, came to earth and lived a life on earth that was a life that was that was perfect in God and to God. The wisdom we see in his life, because he lived his life wisely. Um, if we find an interesting scripture in Luke 7, verse 33 to 35, where Jesus is saying, Hey guys, you, you say that John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and then you said he has got a demon because he's got a he's a madman running around in the wilderness preaching for repentance and abstaining from all kinds of luxuries and just baptizing people and preaching and rebuking them and you said he has a demon speaking to the ones that judged his ministry and now comes the son of man jesus and he he comes rather differently than john his cousin and he eats and he drinks with and even with sinners. And you say, oh, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So you do not receive the very prudent and holy, you know, caveman prophet, but you also don't receive me as the prophet among the people and that has compassion on the sinners and, be, and, and who are with them. And then he ends and he says, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. Obviously, you understand exactly what that means, right? So I can just continue. Wisdom is proved right by all her children. He is saying, in essence, John and I had different callings, different mandates. And the way that you'd know that they were from God, that they were right, that this was wise in the eyes of God, that John would live in that way and I would live in this way, will be proven by the fruit you see from this wisdom. If this was truly wise, there would be fruits from this wisdom. They would be children. So he's using the same analogy, Lady Wisdom, Proverbs 8. She's a woman and she has children. So it would be like a tree with fruit, but now it's a woman with children. All right. So he's saying wisdom will be known. Wisdom, some said, will be justified, will be known, some said, by, by her children, by what it produces. And what comes after this has happened. So, first of all, it's wonderful to see how these mandates of these cousins were vastly different. And that each one of them was wise in, in following God in his way. And his ministry strategies, both of them, is ultimately proven. So, we know that what was the children of his wisdom, of the wisdom that Jesus proclaimed, I mean, he said this at the beginning of his ministry, so it was a big claim to make. He said, wait and see. But since then, billions have come to salvation. His, his church is still growing to this day, 2,000 years later. And his, even his immediate 
children he had there were all willing to die for being his witnesses and also died being his witnesses. The immediate children was a testimony that the fact that this is something real. And for 2,000 years, the wisdom has been proven. God's wisdom in Christ has been proven for 2,000 years, and it is still going, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So we see he was ultimately wise in his ministry strategy. We see in the life of Christ, on the next slide, you you remember that wisdom, we said, isn't only something that you obtain in order to make a good decision, but wisdom, biblical wisdom has got characteristics. That's why it is impersonated in Scripture as Lady Wisdom, because she has characteristics. So wisdom isn't only a cold knowing what to do and doing the very right thing, but it is also filled with how you do this. That is wise. I can know what to do and call that wisdom, but if I do that like a toffee, then I'm also not wise. Are you with me? Sometimes charismatic Christians get that all wrong because they know the word from the Lord. It's been spoken. It's been confirmed. And now they're so arrogant about it. And they think they're so cool about it. And they're blasé about it. And they're just walking away from the wisdom of God that was, that could have been in them with the word that was planted. So remember, wisdom has characteristics. What do we do with these characteristics? This is just a little teaching moment when you would ever ask yourself is this wise you if you want to know wisdom you want to ask is this wise now sometimes we just as i said we want an answer from god what should i do what is wise in this instant blah 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 but to read james chapter 3 and to see that wisdom has got these characteristics means yes it speaks that about the fact that wisdom have have got depth that worldly wisdom do not acknowledge but we we test what we think is wise with the characteristics of wisdom that would then help us to prove whether that thing that we think is wise is wise or not. So if we want to make a specific decision or want to take a specific angle in a meeting at work that we feel holds the wisdom of God, we ask, you ask yourself, because it might be very wise in a worldly sense, but if it, if it is truly biblical wisdom, it would be pure, as James 3 says. It speaks about the worldly wisdom and the wisdom from above. It says it is pure, it is peaceable, it is gentle, it is submissive or open to reason. It is full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So is your strategy wise? You can test it and say, is it all this? A test for wisdom, Okay. Little teaching moment in here that I thought to highlight. And then also, not only a test for wisdom, but the execution of the wisdom should be in this. You can almost say in love, because it speaks to a lot of these things. It might be easier to say, but, but wisdom would be how I do this. With purity, with being peaceable, gentle, full of mercy, submissive not esteeming myself higher, not being wise in my own eyes. Are you with me? Jesus was 
absolutely perfect in all of this? Of course he was. Jesus lived the wisest life possible. Some of the scriptures, some of the things I want to highlight to you. He lived a pure life. It says, he who knew no sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He was ultimately pure and spotless. Because otherwise he could never have been the sacrificial lamb. He was peaceable. He taught his disciples the principle of nonviolence. One example, when, when Peter cut off the ear of one of the, of the guys who wanted to arrest Jesus. Um, and then Jesus healed his ear and he said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. We don't do things like this. He was peaceable. He was gentle. Matthew 11, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Oh God, how, how can you be humble? This is one of those wisdom of God things that transcends our understanding. How can you be humble when you are perfect, omnipotent, omnipresent, how can you be humble? I'm humble because I know my weakness. I'm humble because I understand. I, it's better to be humble because otherwise I'll be humbled. Right? Why were you humble? You are above all things. You own everything. You have everything. You know everything. You are holy and perfect in every single way. And yet, he's humble. Maybe we can do a sermon series on that. The humility of Christ. So can we grow more humble as we grow up in Him? So otherwise it might be evident that we are not growing up in Him, but in ourselves using Him. He is gentle, submissive. It says His prayers to the Father while on earth. He made many prayers. It says... His praise was heard because of his reverent submission. The fear of God was on him, and he submitted to his father fully. He was submissive even though he was God. The Trinity are submissive to each other in a beautiful way. When you have your quiet time, it's very helpful to sit around a table with the Trinity rather than to have a one-on-one -on -one where there's so much on you to have to say something or do something because there's only the two of you. But if you could look at the interactions of the Trinity and you see how they serve each other and love each other in that space, you see what humility and submission means and why God can be humble and submissive. I invite you to that in your prayer time. Full of mercy. Mercy is to treat someone with compassion when you have the when you have the power to harm them the woman that was caught in adultery jesus had the power to have her stoned but he chose compassion he had the power to remove peter after peter denied him three times but he restored him in an incredible way <laughs> after that 
He is a merciful God. He is full of good fruits. Fruits. Now, there's a couple of ways to look at what fruits are. Fruits can be like the fruits of the spirit that you bear, your character, which you bore perfectly, love and peace and patience and kindness. It could, fruits could refer to the works you did. He did miracles. He had compassion, healed the sick, preached the truth. His works testified of good fruits. And then the fruits that went after him, his disciples went out and to this day, this message is being proclaimed because of the work of that, of, of those men. The 11 men that then became 12 again and those that waited in the upper room. The fruits abound. He is impartial. He ate with sinners. He rebuked the Pharisees. He didn't try to appease the Pharisees. You, you remember Peter was uh, at some stage in, where is it in the book of Acts? Uh, where is that? Where he, um, Alice would know exactly where it is, but where Peter, um, when the circumcision party came, then he, then he kind of wanted to appease them and also be with the Gentiles, but then he withdrew from the circumcision party when the, ah, from the Gentiles when the circumcision party was there. He was not, he wasn't impartial. Jesus was impartial. He didn't mind rebuking the Pharisees because he knew they might kill him. He ate with sinners. He was open to them. And he opened up the way for salvation to the Gentiles, us, most of us, who were not part. We had no part. And he opened up the way to salvation for us. He had no bias to only save Israel, but his work opened up salvation to us. He was impartial, perfectly impartial, and he was sincere in the way that he lived. So many of us live with masks our whole life, especially when we go to public places. Jesus didn't live with a mask. When he was upset, he wept. He wept before God. He cried tears of blood because of what he was in. And he even invited three of his disciples to be close, to see, so they could write it. He was vulnerable. He was sincere with the fact that, I know I'm God, but this is intense for me. I want you to see this. He was sincere. And after that, even when he was on trial, like all of us, we would, we, we would try to just defend ourselves a little bit and justify just a little bit. Okay, Even if you're going to kill me now, I'm just going to tell you why I'm not guilty. Not, not Jesus. He was perfectly sincere. The wisdom from the life of Christ. And then we move to salvation through Christ. We've seen in the nature of Christ that he is God and therefore he is ultimately wise. He is the wisdom of God. We've seen in the life of Christ that he lived in perfect wisdom and it's proven by the fruits and was proven by the characteristics of wisdom in which he lived and invites us to live in. 
salvation through Christ. He's also called the wisdom of God. 1 Peter 1 verse 10 to 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The salvation of Christ, the wisdom in the salvation of Christ is so high and unsearchable that the angels do not understand it. The angels long to look into these things. The angels long to be, to, the angels went like, what? How did you do that? How did you just, you, and then Jesus, and then he died, but then he, and now that, wow, how does this work? The angels long to look into these things. Now the devil and his helpers are angels as well, so they don't fully understand either. He made a public spectacle of them because they, they thought they somehow had some kind of a victory when Christ died. But they, I think they somehow knew that something's wrong, but they don't understand what. And they're so bloodthirsty that at least we can have our day now, you know, but, and, and, and hope that somehow we might have just killed God. But then the knock-ons of that in hell and in heaven and the spiritual dynamics that triggers and triggered and will trigger forever, I think we'll never understand. And neither does the enemy. But God sits on his throne exalted with his son and the Holy Spirit and they smile in their wisdom knowing our sal- the salvation we brought is sure. It's too much for angels. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7 to 8. It's Paul saying, we declare a wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's too much for angels to understand and no ruler can has un- understood it either. No man can understand this wisdom of God. And you know what? I cannot explain this wisdom to you either. It is spiritually discerned, never fully understood. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that brings many sons to glory. It's too much for angels. It's too much for man. It is God's wisdom. That the holy, glorious, loving, and gracious God, the creator of the universe, who always been there, looked upon us in his mercy, us being separated from him and his glory by our sinful nature and our rebellion against him. 
And then for love's sake, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear our sin and God's wrath against it on the cross, taking our place. And to show his power over death through Christ's resurrection so that all who surrender their lives to his lordship and trust in his finished work will be forgiven their debt and be reconciled to God and his peace forever. They will know him and live with him forever. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God to us. And it shall be and continue to be revealed to us throughout all eternity. I'm going to close again by reading 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 19. You can maybe close your eyes and open your hands like that in a sign of receiving. Just receive this. Just receive the truth of this to God. Just open up your heart. You don't have to open up your hands. It's just a sign. Like fasting is a sign to say, I'm hungry for you, God. Opening up your hands is a sign to say, I want to receive you, God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek often wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We can have the band up to minister for us, and you could remain in an attitude of worship. You could maybe all stand with us as we're going to Worship him now. You can maybe switch off the lights. You can all stand with us. The right response to him and to what he did is to worship him in joy. Worship Him in thankfulness. We could sing a Revelation song and then we can take it from there. That would be wonderful. So let us worship Him in this song. As if this is our right response. And, and then... If you realize that your relationship with Him is not right, if you realize that you've made less of Christ than what He is and are convicted by the Spirit of God this morning, 